I think for a lot of marketers, we get afraid to re-promote and redistribute content. We get into this idea that if something doesn't take off the first time we published it, it's because it's not good piece of content. But in reality, more times than not, it's because we haven't reached a sample size of the amount of people that we need to actually validate whether or not that content is worth sharing. So I encourage folks to create content and distribute forever because the life cycle of an article doesn't end when you press publish. That is when it just begins. Welcome to Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their career through a strong personal brand. Rep Your Brand is hosted by Nick Bennett, one of LinkedIn's top voices on field marketing and personal branding. In each episode, Nick captures stories on how to overcome the challenges marketers face with growing their brand. So if you're a marketer looking to open doors and create opportunities that you never thought were possible, then listen in to get tangible tips and strategies to build your very own personal brand. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their careers through a strong personal brand. I'm Nick Bennett. This podcast is brought to you by my friends at Motion. They're a done-for-you podcasting service for scrappy marketing teams in B2B tech. The two of the nicest guys around, the work that they do is truly world-class. You can find them at motionagency.io. And today, I'm super pumped because our guest is Ross Simmons, founder and CEO of Foundation Marketing and someone that is a must-follow on social for sure. Ross, thanks for joining me, man. I'm pumped. I'm excited as well, Nick. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to uh, jumping in. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm trying something new this show. I want to kind of, for all everyone that's listening, I'm going to kind of tie everything to a big idea. And so the big idea for this show is marketing professionals kind of understand content is important to building your brand. And they often spend a lot of time creating quality content, but most marketing professionals struggle to distribute consistently. So that's why it's important to create once and distribute forever, which I know Ross is a big fan of. So Ross, you know, people know who you are. You're super popular on social and you recently, you posted a lot, but once maybe two weeks ago, I saw something on LinkedIn that you said, create once, distribute forever. You've mentioned it on Twitter as well. Like why I'm a, I'm a big believer of redistribution of content, but like, why do you think it's so important? Yeah. I think the fundamental key reason why it's so important to create your content and then distribute it is because when you log on to LinkedIn, you log on to Twitter, you log into Facebook, any of these channels, the people who are online at that exact time aren't necessarily going to be the exact same people who are online two months from now. They're not even gonna be the same people who follow you, right? Like you might have a great post that takes off, generates a lot of traction, drives new results for your business, et cetera, in Q1 2022. But in Q4 2023, that same piece of content, if it's valuable, could do the same thing for your business with all of the net new followers, all of the net new subscribers, all of the net new attention that you are now able to attract. I think for a lot of marketers, we get afraid to re-promote and redistribute content. We get into this idea that if something doesn't take off the first time we published it, it's because it's not good piece of content. But in reality, more times than not, it's because we haven't reached a sample size of the amount of people that we need to actually validate whether or not that content is worth sharing. So I encourage folks to create content and distribute forever because the life cycle of an article doesn't end when you press publish. That is when it just begins. Amazing. Absolutely agree with Theron. So when did you come to the realization that it is important to distribute forever? 
very early in my personal branding career. Like I can remember when I first graduated out of university, I had no contacts in the marketing industry. I had no contacts in business. And I was like, I need to break into this space and I need to find a way to like make connections. Like I live in a very small place on the East coast of Canada, Halifax, Nova Scotia, close to the ocean, but like we're not necessarily close to a lot of the tech hubs of the global kind of scene. I needed to reach out and connect with people. So I published a lot of content on startups, on SaaS, on technology. I shared it on my Facebook page once and I got two likes. One was from my mom and one was from my buddy, Matt. And I was like, okay, this isn't working. Like this doesn't really work. The reason it didn't take off is because I had no connections on my accounts. But then when I took that same piece of content and I uploaded it to growthhackers.com, I uploaded it to inbound.org, I shared it on my LinkedIn, I shared it on my Instagram story, I sent an email to everybody I mentioned, that piece took off. And that's when the light bulbs went off. Okay. The game isn't just about creating great content. The game is about ensuring that that great content reaches the right people who can then share that content with their circles so you can actually have a ripple effect. And that was when the game changed for me and I started to embrace distribution across channels like medium.com, across Quora, across SlideShare back in the day, across Reddit, all of these channels, I started to put them in my back pocket as distribution channels. And then the game became easier to make my stories spread because I recognize that creation is not enough. It's so important too. And as you know, what's interesting is why do you think we see typically marketers yeah. create once and distribute once? Like, what do you yeah. think is holding them back? Because I think it's a big problem to address. And honestly, when I was starting out on this journey a little over a year and a half ago, I was yeah. just like, why does this happen? Like, what gets yeah. in the way? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I think there's two things. I think the biggest thing is fear. Fear of being judged, fear of being validated that the piece of content that they've created isn't actually that good, fear of judgment amongst their peers is being seen as someone who is overly promotional. People have, as marketers, a lot of fear that I believe hold them back. And that is something that I think honestly is the root cause for a lot of people's dreams going unfulfilled and a lot of marketers not achieving their full capabilities is because they're fearful of what could happen if they did promote something multiple times. They're fearful of seeing, yes, this piece didn't actually take off. It wasn't that great. They lose that excuse if they don't promote it enough. They can always use it as a crutch in many ways, but they're also fearful of, oh, if I send out this tweet, am I going to be seen as that guy? Like, I don't want to be that person who's always promoting. Here's a spoiler alert for all of everybody. Nobody cares. Like nobody cares, like nobody cares. Everybody is so worried more than about how often you're promoting yourself, about whether or not they are going to make it to the dinner that they're going to, whether or not what they're going to have for dinner, whether or not their kids spit up on them, whether or not this is going on in their personal life, whether or not they wrote back their friend early enough, like nobody cares. But for some reason, we have fear of like not promoting our content enough and it holds so many of us back. The second thing is truly just the lack of understanding of the value. Like a lot of marketers just don't see the value in distribution and it's a difficult thing and it's important to overcome, but the actual inability to realize that yes, distribution is important is something else that holds people back. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you for sure. It's like when I first started posting on LinkedIn, I was just like, you know, I went through, it took me about 
six months before I saw any real traction. And I was just like, why didn't I do this sooner? Like you, you think of people like, like Chris Walker, Justin Welsh, like people that were creating content like a while ago. And there's so many more people that were like, you know, two, three, four years ago. And it was just like, why, you know, think about the people that create content. Now there's so many LinkedIn's flooded, social is flooded with like all these content creators. And it's just like, people still are stuck on that fair piece. Like they're still stuck on right. like, what are people, what do people think? Like right. you, you the, the first thing that I realize is as soon as I press publish on like LinkedIn, yeah. there's always going to be people that disagree right. hopefully right. with what yeah. I have to say, which is great. Healthy debate is, is perfect, but people just can't right. get over that hump and it's interesting for sure. Yeah. And I think it's a fundamental human thing, right? Like all humans get a little bit of queasiness and like anxiousness when you are met with that first negative comment on an idea that you put out there. And I can remember in the early days where I would put out an idea and I would kind of lose sleep over the fact that somebody disagreed with me. But you have to build up like a bit of a muscle memory and a little bit of an armor, so to speak, around the idea that if people are commenting and engaging in a dialogue with you and they're challenging your ideas, one of two things can happen at this moment. Either you can engage in this dialogue and you can learn something from them and it can adjust your thinking, which ultimately will pay dividends for you for the rest of your life because you're now going to know something that you didn't originally know, or you were going to leave that interaction with the same belief that you had in the first place, but that person just gave you additional engagement, which means you might reach another person, which means that you might have another net new opportunity in the future. So when you come at it with a mindset that is really not focused around fear and the anxiety and stress that we do get when we get that negative comment, but you look at the upside, again, the game becomes easier and you're more able to produce and publish content without fear. Absolutely. For sure. Totally agree with you. And I want to kind of go back into like the distribute forever piece of it, because I feel like some people get stuck up on this piece. Like how can you do it so that you don't create fatigue with your audience? Yeah. Great question. So I think the key is having a few assets already established and created. So you can't say I have one piece of content and I'm going to share that same piece of content every single day for the rest of my life. Like you do still have to create things, right? Like that still needs to be a part of the equation as it relates to the content you're putting out there. You have to come up with new ideas and you need to promote them. But once you have a set of, let's say five to 10 assets that you have what I would consider content market fit, meaning these are stories, these are themes, these are ideas that you know with confidence that your audience is going to be interested in and that your audience is going to want to have a conversation and dialogue about, double down on those stories and tell them those stories differently. So the same LinkedIn post that I would put up about create once, distribute forever, I can talk to that theme in multiple ways. I can put up a single post that talks about how most people will share a piece of content um, once and never come back to it. I can talk about the fear that people have about distribution and content and say that same phrase over and over again and include a YouTube link to the video that I created on distribution across the board for all of these things. So the way that you need to think about it when you're creating these different pieces is how can I tell this story differently? How can I take one asset and tell a story about it 
in multiple different ways. That's what you are looking to come up with and that's what you're looking to identify. And when you have those, you can embrace that model of creating once and distributing forever because you have stories that can be remixed and modified depending on the day. Yeah, I love that. It's like, that's so important. Like for everyone listening, like definitely like hone in on that piece of it because it's just like, it's so powerful. And I want to kind of go into like, like a framework question. I want to kind of pose something to you and like get your thoughts on how you would create a framework around this. So like, let's say I'm a marketer on a small team and I've collaborated on a project, let's say an interview series, and I have a really deep blog post that captures the results of the interviews. How can I take this content and distribute it forever? Like what's that framework look like if, if I'm that solo marketer? Yeah. So you've got this interview series that you've developed. The first thing that you want to do is figure out who your audience is and then identify what channels those audience members are spending time on. And you're going to do essentially a matrix around two things. How competitive and noisy is the channel that you're going on and how much of your audience is there? And what I would look for are these, what I would consider money channels, which is where it's not that noisy because not a lot of your competitors are there, but all of your target audience are spending time on those channels. So you're going to group a certain amount of distribution channels into that. Some of the channels that you look at are gonna be very noisy with lots of your competitors, and they're also going to be very noisy in the sense that all of your audience is there. Those are great channels to be on as well. They're just going to be difficult for you to stand out. Then there's gonna be channels that are like ghost channels where nobody's there that you're targeting, your competitors aren't there, Those are ones that are kind of a coin flip. You'll see, we'll think about it. And then there's other ones that are gonna be very highly competitive. All of your customer, your competitors are spending time there, but your audience isn't really there. Think like magazines and stuff like that in that regard. So the framework that you think about is looking at and analyzing and placing channels into these different buckets. Once you've identified the channels that you believe your audience is spending time on and that there's a lot of opportunity there, you are now going to distribute content in these channels and you're going to rank it based off of the ease of distribution in these channels. So you're going to start thinking through how easy is it to actually distribute content in these channels. And you're gonna be thinking about that from a few different ways. One, is there a cost to actually distribute? Two, what are the skill sets required to distribute content on these channels? If you're looking at a channel like YouTube, that's very different from a channel like Reddit, right? Like you're talking about written content versus video content. So your skill set's gonna be different. And then you have to think about resources. So do we have the people and the capabilities to allocate people or money to do that thing? And then the next part that you're gonna ask yourself, is this distribution channel inside of our circle of genius? Is this something that we can execute really well? My dad had a great saying when we were growing up that it's better to have one good kid than two bad. And I think the same theory should apply to our distribution channels and how we're spreading our content. If your team is excellent at LinkedIn, then be excellent at LinkedIn and think about using various distribution channels within LinkedIn to distribute your content. If your team is excellent at video, then you're going to start thinking about the various video channels that you can use and the ways that you can repurpose your content from a video lens. Now, with all of that said, You've now got clarity into what your team can do, what you can do as a creator if you're just a solo personal brand building yourself up. You now have clarity in, okay, my audience is in LinkedIn, my audience is on Reddit, my audience is subscribing to a handful of Substacks, my competitors aren't awake to that, my audience is listening to podcasts. So you say, these are the places I need to distribute your content. What do you do next? 
you press publish on your piece of content and then you are going to have a checklist that identifies all of the various tactics that you're going to use to distribute your content on that on those various pieces so i record an interview what do i do now I'm going to take that interview and I'm going to upload it to YouTube. I'm going to take that interview and I'm going to load it up to Apple, Spotify, to any other popular podcasting streaming service. I'm going to distribute it all through there. I'm going to take that same podcast and I'm going to upload it to my blog. I'm going to take that same YouTube video that I shared and I'm going to embed it and share it on LinkedIn. I'm going to take that same video two days later. I'm going to upload it to an article on LinkedIn and I'm going to have a little bit of copy at the beginning and then I'm going to embed it in the middle. Then I'm going to share that article in a few LinkedIn groups. I'm then going to go to a Facebook group and I'm going to share it in there. I'm then going to go from that Facebook group and make sure that I'm commenting in other threads about about this topic, plugging the interview series that I've been on. I'm then going to think about how can I repurpose this video series into a launch and then I'm going to upload it to Product Hunt. I'm then going to think about how can I take this video series and upload it to Hacker News, upload it to Growth Hackers, upload it to Inbound.org. Can I create a Twitter thread about it? And can I turn that Twitter thread into a series of Instagram stories or maybe I turn it into a video series of some sort? All of those things are possible if you think about distribution long-term versus just a one-time event. That is literally like, I mean, I was like, my mind is blown. Like I honestly, I don't even hit half those those buckets as much as I should. Like I, I definitely, you've given me already so many like ideas that I haven't like thought about that I probably should be thinking about. So I appreciate you. I appreciate that piece of it. I want to talk about the distribution piece of it again. So Like what are your like what are your nuts and bolts of your own system? Like do you use Google Sheets or Asana or like what's yeah. your framework look like? Yeah, so good old Google Sheets is like the go-to. So we okay. have a sp- massive spreadsheet checklist that we go through. You can ch- download the actual spreadsheet that I use for free. It's I believe at rossimmons.com slash distro pack. If you do a quick Google search for distribution checklist, it's out there. But yeah, it's like a good old fashioned checklist of all of the things that we need to do after we press publish. Internally, we also have started to leverage like checklists in Trello and in things like Asana, et cetera, where we just add a checklist. So the process becomes, let's create this piece of content, go through the creation process. Once that's complete, we have a checklist around distribution. And that checklist around distribution is typically going to say, all right, we're going to send out two tweets. We're going to write those. We're going to um, have a LinkedIn update. We're going to have a Facebook update. We're going to send it out to our newsletter. And that all happens on day one. On day two, we're going to upload it as an import on medium.com. We're going to upload it to Facebook ads. We're going to do all of these different things. That all starts to happen afterwards. And there is a checklist to define essentially what we need to do moving forward after we press publish on a piece of content. That's amazing, man. That's dedication right there. And that's, I mean, honestly, that's probably why you've been so successful as well. So I want to talk about pinpointing the difference between a company account and a personal Mm -hmm. account. So you own an agency. Why do you even bother to tweet and distribute from your personal Twitter account versus foundations? Yeah. So I always say people connect with people, right? Like we... As sure, at the end of the day, eventually people will buy directly from foundation and we're starting to get to that point. The same way that now people buy from Apple and it's not thought in their mind of Steve Jobs and was, but like in the early days, 
that's who people thought about, right? Like in the early days of those brands, that's you thought about the founder. And I think it's important for founders. I think it's important for people, even on your team, to embrace the idea that people do business with people. And at the end of the day, if you go out and you say, I as a human want to add value to this subculture, to this community, to this space, and I want to help it move forward, then it's a very beneficial thing, not only for yourself, but also for the community at large. And it gives me just joy to be able to kind of be a human on social and represent the ideas that I want to put out there to the world, whether it's related to content creation, whether it's related to entrepreneurship, whatever, I want to add as much value as I can to the world as possible while I'm here. And I think for me, if I can do that and it builds a personal brand and it ultimately leads to more benefits for foundation long-term, that's a great win to win. For me, it really does come down to the idea that is very simple and is somewhat morbid, but we're only here for so much time. And while I'm here, I want to be able to live a life where I've been able to impact people. And the best way to do that is as a human first. And I try to do that wholeheartedly every single day. I love that. That's amazing. Going back to like the difference between company page versus personal page, how do you approach the difference in tone between your yeah. company account and a personal account? Great question. So on my personal account, I would say I'm just me and I tweet as me. I share things as me. Everything will be talked about ranging from sports, fantasy sports. I'm a big Eagles fan. I've got an Eagles uh, hat that I rock on a regular basis here. But like for me, it will be anything and everything will be talked about on my own personal accounts. For the business, we keep it strictly towards marketing and we use a tone that is a bit of the Foundationites voice more than my own. So we have Foundationites who run the account, who write tweets, who write posts, who share content on the behalf of the brand and they run that account and it's uh, it's great and they own the voice and they own the tone around it and we we always think forward around who our brand's audience is which is typically people in marketing we're talking to the cmos the vp of marketing managers people who are just getting started in their marketing career even investors and SaaS founders things of that nature like that's our space so we talk to them on that account but on my personal account i'll talk to all of those people but I will also talk to the 21-year-old kid who is in the middle of Nigeria and is uncertain what type of career they should have or how whether or not they should be thinking about trying to get into marketing. I'll create content on that account, my own personal account, for the 18-year-old version of me who had no idea how to break into tech but is curious about it and wants to get into it. I'll create content for the other dads out there who are like, how do we keep all of these things going? Like, how do we do it? Right? Like that's what I do on my personal account. And it's just like staying authentic to myself. And I have a deep love of the nineties. So I talk about that and it's not intentional. I just like being nostalgic and geeking out about the good old age of the empire days and the WWE days and all of that good stuff. Oh man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Sure. So I know you, you produce content for companies as well. How do you advise them to take that company content and add a personal layer to it? Like what are you seeing work well for your companies? Great questions. The key is figuring out what is different about you as an organization, figuring out like what makes you different from your competitors. Like if I took your name 
off of a blog post, if I took your competitor's logo and plopped it on your blog, like, would it be very easy to say, yeah, that could be them, that could be them, that could be them, that could be them? Or does it have a sense and a, a bit of an essence that comes from your brand and your people? And if it doesn't, then that's what we look for. We have conversations with customers. What is it so different about your account managers? What's so different about the customer success team at your organization? We look for those and that guides us with the tone and the voice. You can look at some of the most successful brands and you can say like, there's a very clear difference between brand A and brand B. And in SaaS, for some reason, we underestimate the value of brand and we think that there needs to be a bit of normalcy where we all sound the same. But I think we are starting to move into a time where B2B and SaaS is going to be more increasingly inspired by B2C. And it's going to become more and more important for SaaS brands to lean into the idea of having a brand voice and an identity that is actually a little bit different than the watered down typical story that you see. It is so crucial for those organizations that are early stage because that's how they differentiate themselves entirely in the market, especially when they're competing with an incumbent who has owned the market, who dominates the market share and has watered down their voice because what they're trying to do is very different from an up and coming company. Someone who owns the market needs to play it safe, needs to be able to just like make everyone happy and not really connect with anyone on an emotional level. Let's just own that. But somebody else coming up, like you want to pick a side, you want to stir some stuff up, you want to connect with some group emotionally that have a shared belief and a shared set of values. Well said too, because like I've done some of that for like, you know, the companies that I've worked for, it's just, I've always right. worked for startups and like companies that are in that hyper growth stage. And you're trying to knock off these incumbents, uh, like these big, you know, 500 pound yeah. gorillas. And it's like, you got to do some things and you got to you know, set yourself apart for sure. All right. So I know we're coming up on time. I just got a few final questions for you. And so I want to talk about, you know, some people say a personal brand is about adding value. Some say it's just being yourself, being authentic to yourself, but it doesn't really offer someone tactical advice. So like, what does adding value mean if you're a marketer that's getting started? So when I first got into the marketing industry, I had no experience in marketing outside of my university degree, which I would say had very little value. But I came to the market and I thought about the people who I wanted to reach, which were other marketers. And I wrote a blog post that was titled 10 great books that you should read before you get a job in advertising. Now at the time I didn't have a job in advertising, but I did some research to figure out what types of books people thought you should read. If people want answers to a question and you are able to go above and beyond to figure out the answer to that question and you can answer it with confidence backed by data backed by research putting in the time to figure it out and you provide that to the world that's value and if you want to make it personal it's personal as soon as you put your name on it, right? Like it's personal, it's authentic. As soon as you put your name on that asset, it becomes something that you own and that you've created. So I think two things can be true at the same time. The idea of being authentic with your content and the idea of being valuable and creating valuable content can be the same thing. I think you have to be intentional of first and foremost, figuring out what type of content does the people that you're trying to reach actually want? And is it within your ability to get the answer 
to that question. And if it is in your ability to get the answer to that question, then then go find that answer and then produce that answer in a very interesting and unique way. And that's where authenticity comes from. It could be a unique dynamic way of uh, just designing a presentation or designing a carousel, or maybe you're presenting it in a video format. That alone is the most personal, authentic way you can deliver content. Like you on video or you with your voice, there's no more intimate experience as a human besides in person than you can give people. So if you can do that, you're crossing off both of those items in terms of being valuable and ensuring that people are going to connect with you personally and authentically. So my advice would be to start with the end audience in mind. Do the research. Let's say you're trying to connect with marketers. You're going to go to a subreddit called our marketers or our big SEO or whatever it may be, our ABM, B2B, you name it. You're going to sort the content by the top posts and you're going to look for trends. You're going to see what are the top posts that marketers are looking for and talking about. If it happens to be about books, then maybe you should create content about the books that you need to read in marketing. If it happens to be about the tactics that you need to do to develop, to grow your social media presence, then maybe that's what you need to create. You're looking for validation on the ideas that your audience wants. Then once you have that validation, you then add your own perspective, your own voice, and your own narrative to it, and you bring that out to the world. You don't have to get corny with it. You don't have to get cheesy with it. You don't have to get all like very creative and out of the box with it. Sure. I remember a long time ago, I wrote a piece called uh, How to Make Sure Every Blog Post That You Write Is Sure to Work, 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 which was a play on Rihanna's song, Work. And it took off. It generated a lot of engagement. But if you don't listen to hip hop, you're probably not going to be able to share that post and actually be authentic. So you have to find things that connect with you as a human. And then if you can inject that into your stories, then by all means do it. But don't force it. Don't push it. And don't feel like it is necessary to stand out. That is fantastic advice. Absolutely amazing. So last question I got for you, you know, what's your favorite resource could be online, could be offline that you rely on to keep like up to speed, you know, keep yourself fresh. Like what do you like to do in your, your free time? Yeah. So Twitter is without question, my go-to channel. It's my favorite channel. If you're on Twitter, I would love to connect with you over there. My Twitter handle is at the coolest cool. I created my Twitter handle in university. So don't judge me for that, but I'd be happy to connect with you folks over there. I also love a site called Seeking Alpha and I'm going to plug them because it's not something that I hear a lot of marketers talking about. It's an investment site and it's directly related to like just keeping track of businesses and publicly traded companies and what they're doing. And I am a massive geek who just loves analyzing business. So I spend a lot of time on Seeking Alpha, just studying other people's opinions on what organizations are going to do well, ranging from SaaS, ranging from genomics, ranging from CPG, you name it. I am uh, just a geek who loves business in general. So I spend a lot of time on Seeking Alpha as well. That's awesome. So I definitely appreciate you having me on. Where can people go to learn more about you? I know you dropped your Twitter. Like where else, yeah. you know, where can people go find you? Drop anything, plug anything that you want to plug here. 
Yeah, I think the best place would definitely be Twitter. But after that, connect with me on LinkedIn as well. I'm there. I am always sharing content. I'd also would love anyone, if you are interested in seeing more videos of me, check out Ross Simmons' YouTube video channel. I'd be happy to connect with you there. And my team over at Foundation, we publish a regular newsletter for B2B marketers that I think is complete fire and probably one of the most underrated and underestimated newsletters on the market. So you should check it out. I guarantee you, you will be met with fire in your inbox. So if you want to heat up your inbox, subscribe, just go to foundationinc.co. You can find the newsletter link there and you should definitely subscribe. But I think uh, you'll get some amazing essays and teardowns surrounding B2B SaaS companies, growth strategies that will help you grow your business. Amazing. Amazing. Ross, thank you so much for joining me. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you for listening to Rep Your Brand. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you learned something new today, it'd be great if you left us a review. We'll catch you next time.